Welcome to the Unformed Handball Hour coming at you at a reasonable time today of just before 6pm. So we should all be in completely top form. How are you, Chris? I'm in top form. And Brian? I'm all right. I'm not sure I'm ever top form, but I'll do my best. <laughs> How are you, Alex? I'm very good. I'm pretty excited now. You know, the, the tournament is in full swing. We saw some great quarterfinals, uh, big matchups, big impressive performances across the board from the winners and some of the losers. But I think the most impressive performance has to have been that second half performance from France. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as you said, when we were talking about it, Alex, it was just their their defense in for the first 15 minutes of that second half was just like, I, w- I was watching, I was like, oh, this is over. And it just looked like they completely shut up shop. And it, it was just, for those 15 minutes, it was like probably the best 15 minutes of defense I've probably seen in the whole tournament so far. It was just incredible. So when, when France turned it on defensively, it's just, it's an absolute nightmare. Uh, absolutely and i don't know what we were smoking in the last episode when we were like well france really destroyed russia but i don't know if they can do it like what 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 was the logic behind that argument that we are still doubting france (laughs) oh they just won the olympic games and you know they're probably the best team best squad best defense they just destroyed russia but i don't know it didn't convince us last time i think this one really convinced us it convinced me anyway yeah, I mean, the, the thing after the Olympics also is that teams can tend to go on a bit of a downer in France as well after major successes like winning the Euro in 2018. The next World Championship, they ended up winning the President's Cup. So, you know, it's not it's not unlike them to fall from grace a little bit, but that, that's been the most impressive thing about this team is that they've managed to integrate a few new players really quickly and hit the heights that they have before and it's you know that as you said that 15 minute spell the third quarter of the game against Sweden in defense was just something else and that is something we hadn't seen from them in the championship so far so it's it's moments like that when they actually produce it and they they seem to be hitting form at the right time that it's really yeah they puts all the doubts to bed about how good they are and that really was a great defensive performance I still have question marks over whether they can do that against a team that can shoot from long range because Sweden, not that they can't, but they almost didn't want to shoot from long range. And when they did, it worked out great for them in that game. So I think it was um, a case for them that they also took full advantage of uh, Sweden's weaknesses, so to speak, or shortcomings in the attack uh, and just focused completely on not allowing Yamina Roberts to do her thing uh, and go in between one and two. Like, that was the great bit of shutdown defense that made the difference for me. So you're, you're basically saying there now that France are in the final. So come up against a team that can shoot. Denmark can't shoot. They were, they were missing the goal. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. 
No, I'm kidding. But if you're talking about, at, we talked about a team struggling attack, and I think probably the Dem- Dem- Denmark's attack is probably one of their weaker parts of the of their game. If you take away their strongest parts, defense, goalkeepers, and working with the wings. You'd fancy France also there. We'll get, probably get to that a little later. But just when you said that there, I thought you were indirectly saying, oh, France are in the final now because they they're not coming up come against a team that can really shoot from the backcourt I'm either. not suggesting that because they're coming up against a team that have had the best defense in the whole championship and the best pair of goalkeepers. So what I'm actually saying is it's going to be 14-14 and we go into extra time. <laughs> <laughs> two, of the best, two of the best defenses, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't quite buy the argument that it wouldn't work against a shooting team either because... What they, what France have is a really aggressive, uh, defense. So they step out early. They stop players early. So in this case, it was about stopping Amina Roberts before she made her move. But where they made that stop was, you know, at the nine meter line very early. And they had a, a lot of, you know, it's, it's such a coordinated defense that when a player gets the ball, you know, the wing player runs out and tackles the back player or the number two defender runs out and stops the center back quite early in the attack. And it's all about, you know, taking people off their rhythm, which I think it would still be effective against uh, a team full of shooters like Norway, for example, maybe in the final. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> that, is, that is a fair point. But I see, you know, when they come up against a team that is also incredibly good in defense, and will counterattack or will have opportunities to counterattack against them like the Russians did in the the final main round game that then you have players like Lena Hogsted for example or uh, Christine Jorgensen who who can just take the ball from defense into attack and shoot very quickly take on an unsettled defense and that's where that's where the the, the game is really going to be broken down I think uh, on Friday in attack though France also didn't look amazing in attack, uh, I would say. Actually, both uh, across both halves. But one player that made it all happen was Grassadi. Yeah. She had one of the most incredible performances that I've seen at this championship so far. And it was her ingenuity, her creativity that absolutely destroyed the Sweden defence. They really had no, no idea how to deal with her. And that was the real big difference between the Swedish attack that were very one-dimensional. They were looking for that one-on-one opportunity. They were looking to break through, get the ball to Hagman any way possible or get the ball to the line. But it, it was all very uh, one-directional. What Sadi did was incredible. And I think there was one spell where it was three attacks in a row that really stood out for me where... She basically, she got the ball, did her normal standing shot from nine meters. We know she's great at that, scored it. Next attack, she drove in and in a turn, basically passed the ball into the wing from the center position, leaving a wide open shot for the winger. And then in the next attack, as she was about to do a switch with a back player, she just faked it and ran through. And all of this was just just different levels of creativity that Sweden were just not able to expect. It really broke that Swedish defense apart. And she had 10 assists, only two goals, but 10 assists. And a, and each assist in this case was 100% earned. I agree with that. Yeah. And I think you can actually see that almost when you look at the score sheets of, of both games, you see the amount, the, the really healthy spread of goals from France across the, 
the board, you've like no candy, three goals, Pinot, three goals, Zaddy, two goals. Flip is top scorer, four goals, Foppa with three goals. Whereas then you look at Sweden and it's really kind of top heavy. You have Lynn Bloom with six, Hagman with nine, and then the rest is ones and twos. So it's kind of like really top heavy with those, with Hagman and Lynn Bloom kind of dragging them along. And with, of course, Jimena Roberts' assists. So it's kind of maybe three characters in the Swedish team kind of holding it together for them. Whereas France, you really felt like you could have anyone come off the bench and they were kind of, I mean, I'm a random rocket from Canor every now and again. And, uh, yes, yeah, so you just, you just felt like there was a lot more ammunition there. And Zaddy at the center of it kind of dishing out the assists was just, uh, yeah, wonderful to watch. Yeah. I, th- I think from a Swedish perspective, they had those, you know, random rockets in the, the case of Karin Strumberg and Jenny Carlson, who both came on and did occasionally do exactly that, but didn't do it often enough. And particularly when they were playing seven V six and there was that space in the center of attack, uh, to, to take the shots on, they, they didn't do it. But I, I remember that exact period you're talking about with Grassadi, Alex. And that was right at the beginning of the last 10 minutes. So Sweden had come back within two goals, I think. And then she did all that three, uh, those three movements, uh, got a goal, got an assist, won a penalty. And that really just killed off any final surge from the Swedes. So, yeah, she seems to be getting better this season i mean i think she had a bit of a lull last season grassetti but yeah she's back and it's an exciting prospect against denmark what did you make of, of the six versus seven because i thought that was kind of a, a bit of a, a turning point in the game because i feel like it was letting the game slip away from them then it got back it got them back into the game again and then all of a sudden they lost three goals at the end and it kind of killed the game off again i don't know what was what was your take on that seven v six yeah, I think they, the fact they did it in the first place was right. Hilariously enough, it came off the back of not being able to do anything from a six on five, like a, a one woman up uh, situation. And um, yeah, Axner, I think, decided he was going to go for it. I think it worked for the most part. But then they, they, they t- rushed a couple of shots and then a couple of turnovers. You got empty net goals and then it's yeah game over i think once you if you concede more than two empty net goals in 7v6 then you're doing the wrong thing and they were also missing a vital element of the 7v6 it, it worked because they were able to get shots off from the backcourt and get the ball to the wing finally which we, they weren't able to do for um most of the second half but what they didn't have is someone breaking through between the number one and two defenders at speed um they because that's the space that's afforded within the seven and six in a, in a lot of cases that you, there's a small gap and you need someone to beeline there. And that should have been Amina Roberts, but she kept going inside. Uh, and on the other side, they also have Karen Stromberg there at, at times who doesn't have the speed. And if they really targeted those outside gaps that basically France gave up after they adjusted, they could have kept going, but they, they just kept going with the same kind of uh, roots down the middle and through the wings that that were shut down. What, one thing you mentioned, Brian, is that the, there was such a widespread uh, goal tally for, for the French and it was amazing to see the, the young players come in and take on that responsibility. And uh, Chris actually spoke to Alison Pino and spoke about that integration of the team and how they've transitioned after Olympics. So we will give that a listen.
Alison, first of all, can we go back to last night's game and uh, talk about that defense in the second half? You came out like a completely different beast as a team and uh, it must have been a great confidence booster to see the Swedes kind of crumble like that. Well, of course, I'm very glad about uh, our second half. It was really hard for Sweden uh, to find uh, the gate. Um, this is why actually they changed their tactic to try to play uh, with uh, in seven against six uh, without the goalkeeper. Um, it was uh, not easy for us uh, to defend, but uh, they decided to uh, to choose this tactic. I think um, it helped us uh, at the end uh, to win this game because uh, it was uh, not easy also for them to attack our defense in this way. Of course, when uh, the game uh, got a little bit tighter, that uh, they came back a little bit in the game, we stay strong mentally. Uh, we believe that uh, we could uh, do it uh, until the end, and uh, we continue to, to score goals, and then uh, the gap stay uh, quietly the same. Mental strength is a, is a huge thing with this French team over the years, it seems. And I mean, particularly coming out of the Olympics this summer, the team seems to have managed with the, let's say, the next competition syndrome very well. And, and the, so far, looking brilliant, going to the semi-finals. What do you think the key thing for that is, transferring what you've done in the summer to this championship? Well, actually, it's a good question. Uh, many people have been asking me this uh, question, uh, how we are doing it uh, so well after uh, three months of this uh, gold medal in Olympic Games. Um, but I just think that we came here without any pressure uh, of uh, results. We just wanted to see what we could do, uh, give our best and uh, going step by step. So um, we know what uh, what is our strength, uh, our identity in this team. And... Um, we, uh, let's say, take this wave in a good way uh, to actually uh, reach the semi-final. You say they're playing with uh, no pressure coming into this championship. Is that because you're already thinking about, let's say, the bringing the next generation through for the Olympics in 24? No, I don't think so. I mean, of course, um, many things have changed this uh, Olympic Games because some players have retired. Uh, then newcomers arrived uh, and then... Um, it's um, always about this balance, the, this new balance that we have to find in the team. And uh, I think uh, we did it uh, pretty well. Um, we know that uh, our, our team is really cool and uh, you can uh, integrate really easily. Um, the old players are also here to guide the young ones, to help them to, uh, to, uh, to be uh, you know, here, to enjoy and to give their, their best. They don't have any pressure I mean, uh, from, from us. We just want them to... Uh, to be happy in uh, in this team, so uh, of course um, I'm very glad and uh, satisfied about uh, the result uh, until now. Um, maybe nobody expects that uh, we will be here again, but uh, we uh, we grew um, through the the games and. Uh, here we go again. <laughs> and what you're saying there about the older players uh, helping to integrate, you're one of the most experienced players in this squad. How do you personally see your role within the team and also helping those younger players? Well, of course, uh, through the years my uh, role has changed, but uh, I know I have a lot of experience and uh, the games that are coming are very important for me and uh, I know that everyone is expecting a lot from, uh, from my side uh, because uh, they know that I know how to manage those games so they are uh, waiting for me um, but uh, I'm very glad about uh, what I give to this team and um, what I give also to the young ones I know um, I'm like a catalyst in this, uh, in this team uh, between the old ones, between the young ones 
I'm like a kind of a, a bridge, but um, we have also many leaders in this team, so uh, um, I really enjoy it. And uh, I'm, I feel uh, like a kid uh, in this competition a little because uh, I achieved something really big um, with this Olympic Games. Yeah, it was uh, my biggest uh, dream, I think, uh, after I was running uh, so many years. Uh, for this gold, uh, we failed so many times to, to get it, but finally we got it. So I just want to enjoy my last competition uh, with the with my national team. Of course, I will uh, I will quit in 24. So uh, I just want to uh, to feel uh, really happy and uh, I and give my best. So this has changed your perspective on on playing international handball now that you've achieved that huge goal. It's made things a bit lighter for you, perhaps? Yes, for sure. More lighter, more serenity, of course, because I feel that I have um, done my duty uh, for this national team. And um, we have wrote a history, so um, yes, I feel much, much, much lighter. Yeah, super interesting. <laughs> and, and coming into the final weekend now, you've had a lot of experience in, in playing in final weekends. They're a different beast altogether. What, uh, if you're talking to the younger players who maybe haven't experienced it too often what are the key things that you think mentally and also playing wise that you need to have in mind coming into the semi-final yeah for some of them it will be the the first time and um, the most important for us is that they stay connected to the to the team uh, that they play without any pressure because of course um, the biggest they will not have the biggest role they have an important role but uh, the old ones are here to take the pressure so um, we just uh, want from them to uh, to enjoy to give their best and to be focused this is what we want uh, to be focused on what they have to do when then they are in and uh, we'll see but uh, really no pressure for them at all and with new players being integrated of course the core of the team is very much the same from the the olympics but how would you compare what the team is like now whether it's not necessarily on the court but as a group in comparison to the french teams you've had been with over the years yeah much younger uh, the, we needed to find a new balance of course uh, after uh, tokyo but uh, surprisingly we have uh, <laughs> done it uh, pretty well in uh, my opinion uh, it's very hard to, to explain that uh, for me, but I think uh, everyone brings something uh, in this spot and uh, life goes on. <laughs> and finally, with the, the Denmark game on, on Friday, it feels like two somewhat similar styles coming together in, in terms of what you're trying to focus on. What do you think will be the key to breaking them down? I will not reveal anything, <laughs> but uh, of course uh, it's not a surprise uh, if I say that, uh, of course, uh, our defence uh, will be the key because uh, it's been like that for uh, so many years. I think uh, we are the best defence uh, in the world and... Uh, so um, we, are, uh, we are getting ready for this game. We are aware that Denmark have done uh, a lot and uh, pretty well uh, in this World Championship. We know, of course, uh, their goalkeepers are in a very good shape. Uh, the duo is uh, doing amazing. So um, it's going to be a very similar game that against uh, Sweden, but not with the same skills, of course. So, um, so we are aware about uh, Denmark and uh, I know how much they want to, to beat us. So uh, we will see what will happen on Friday. I guess it's a, it's a case also, you, you were saying about with the Olympic goal that you, you were trying to make this huge breakthrough and achieve it for this Danish team as well. It's been a while since they managed to, to achieve something. So you know, how to, you know what you're going to face in that sense. Yeah, yeah, we know what we're going to face. Um, and uh, of course, um, they lost against us uh, so many times uh, in the past years. 
Um, we are pretty aware that they beat us uh, in uh, Kumamoto in 2019, but uh, uh, let's say that uh, the, advantage, the advantage is uh, a little bit more in uh, our side, but uh, this is a semi-final, so uh, you have to be ready, you never know, nothing is written in advance, we will see. Wonderful, thank you, Alison. Thank you, Alison, for that. Uh, some nice insight there. And I think she seems very relaxed heading into their semi-final against Denmark. Overall, I think it's probably fair to say that Sweden had a pretty good tournament. I mean, finishing fifth, definite some highlights. I mean, I think we can't really move on without mentioning Natalie Hagman, who had probably had, uh, I don't know, I mean, she didn't win anything, but it was definitely a very, very memorable uh, tournament for her, scoring 70 goals, uh, in seven games, which is pretty incredible, thinking that Los Abing scored 71 goals in nine games in Japan. So, okay, a bit of a different format when you're playing against uh, Puerto Rico and Kazakhstan, but still uh, quite the feat. Yeah, and I'm happy for her as well. She's a player who, in the last few years, has had her ups and downs, I think particularly at club level, where she wasn't able to quite you know, make become a regular Champions League player uh, which many people expected, but uh, this championship, she's put herself in the shop window again. Yeah, so we're all very hyped about France all of a sudden with that defense, but only a, a day before that, when Denmark beat Brazil, Alex, I believe you were all in on Denmark, uh, believing that they were the real deal. Do you not feel so confident anymore? I still feel confident in Denmark and what they're doing this year, and I think... um they're, they themselves are more confident with uh, kind of that additional time with Jesper Jensen. It's just this French team is a different beast, the, you know, when they turn it on. Um, and I just, yeah, it's, it's very hard to imagine this game because both teams' defences are the, the, the strong point. But they're also completely different defences. Uh, Denmark is more of a classic Scandinavian 6-0 with two very strong um, centre blocks and the best goalkeepers in the world. So it's it's just, I would feel more confident in Denmark against the other teams left in this competition, so Norway and, and Spain, than against France because with Denmark's kind of struggling attack and it's still struggled, they, they performed well, um, against Brazil but again it was kind of on the second wave that they um, were able to break through and make a difference but with that slightly um, struggling attack if France turn it on for 15 minutes dur- during the game the-, the game could be lost straight away and that's what I fear for this Danish team that it will be close but France have this ability to just turn it on that yeah, Denmark probably don't have, but then they have the goalkeepers. That's their trump card. And what a trump card. I guess based on the way it's going with them swapping between Reinhardt and Toft for every game, it's Reinhardt's turn. Do you think she'll get the start? Now, Sa- Sandra Toft made 17 saves in a quarterfinal. You can't, you can't put her on the bench after that. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> and she's the captain. Yeah, so. And she's the captain. <laughs> <laughs> but but so often at these final weekends of tournaments or championships, it's been the goalkeepers that win the day. France have two very good goalkeepers 
as well in Laura Glozer and Cleopatra Darlow, but they haven't quite been able to produce anything of the same level. I mean, it says a lot that they only made three saves in that first half, yet were level with Sweden. And uh, it was all about the defense in creating stops. And how do you feel about it, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I said in the last podcast that I was a little bit worried about the... I said I think the Danish attack doesn't really look like a championship winning attack and I think after seeing how France played and then uh Denmark's performance against Brazil I think it didn't change actually it's and some maybe I'm a little bit more convinced of that and I think but I would say this I think if there's I think it would only take one player or one or two players from Denmark to really shine in that game for them to have a really, really close game with France or to even snatch it. I think if someone like Annemette Hansen can maybe shake off that nervousness or some of the wild shots she was throwing, missing the goal at some at some points, if she can get rid of that and have a have a stormer of a game, that could it could be something as simple as that could that could really change it for Denmark. But if they don't and they're struggling again, I just see France could win it by five. There's gonna be an interesting battle to watch out as well. And I noticed in the game against Brazil the only weakness that I could put with uh, Sandra Toft was that she conceded a few wing goals. So that was the only place where Brazil were able to um, get past her at times. And it was Cardoso actually for Brazil on that right wing with, who had an incredible game. But Scored 10 in the end, did she? Yeah, yeah she scored 10 from 13, I think, um, including four goals from the wing, which is um, a fairly high rate uh, compared to this championship. So that may be one of Sandra Toft's weaknesses, that, you know, the only weakness that I can see. But on the other side, for France, this is where they have their new players. Um, it's, it's not their battle-hardened veterans that are on the wings. It's Toublanc and uh, La Source, um, as well as Chloe Valentini. Who, who have played on the wings. Um, two of those are kind of rookies uh, relative to the rest of the team, but they've performed well. And it, it's this battle of the greatest goalkeeper in the world that may have one weakness and these great players in a big occasion, so we don't know how they'll react. And that could be the key in this game. I think you're convincing me that Denmark are going to win it now. <laughs> <laughs> because interestingly enough, early in that Brazil game, I was like, there's no way these like these Brazilian players aren't scoring from the wing. The second half they did, first half they didn't. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Should we talk about the other semi-final then? Nah. <laughs> Spain against Norway. Might seem like Spain already have done what they needed to do at this championship by getting to the semi-final. Do they have it in them to beat Norway in a world semi-final for the second time in a row at home? Probably not. What do you think? Probably not, but I mean, I I didn't see uh, the only game I didn't see much of was the was the Spain Germany game. But what I did see, I did see the last fifteen minutes, and I saw Germany in absolute panic mode and panic stations, and uh, and it just looked like an absolute one of the ugliest games of handball you'd ever see. But as you said, Chris, even across from on 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 across YouTube, you could tell that there was a an absolute brilliant atmosphere there. So I think if Spain are going to do anything, they'll have to just turn it into an absolute, another one of those type of matches where they're just going to absolutely roughhouse Norway out of it. And that's the only way I could see, I don't know, somehow take 
Steen Oftedal out of the game with some roughhousery, some shithousery, some Appas and Adrian Sipos. <laughs> and, uh, but otherwise, I'm not really sure. I, I just see Norway again a good, a good bit above Spain in almost every part of the court, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I think so as well. Spain just they didn't look good in that game again. That no one looked good in that game against Germany. It was it was a real scrap. Um, the referees didn't look good. Nobody. Looked good. <laughs> Eighteen penalties, by the way, in that game. At least they're consistent. Yeah, they're consistent, they at were, least you know. They were bloody consistent in the penalty given. They, yeah. they knew whistles. <laughs> yeah. So so they. Uh, as Brian said, they, they have to turn into a battle. And I, I do wonder if they are just happy with, with what they are. And um, I hear, Chris, you, you know that they're pretty happy with uh, getting to the semi-final, right? Correct. That's all, <laughs> That's all I can say in that. No further comments. <laughs> they had a bit of a, yeah. a fiesta. I mean, siesta. Siesta the other day. Yeah. They, had a, they had a nice siesta after the game. Look, uh, lads, we've all played ha- matches late in the evenings, right? If you play an eight thirty match, there's no way you can fall asleep at midnight yeah. or one o'clock. You know, you need to stay up a bit longer and let the adrenaline flow out of your system before you can sleep. And I think that's what the Spaniards did, also knowing they had an extra day to prepare. But this is what Spain do. You know, they they play by their own rules and uh, when they're successful, they are successful. And they managed to do it against Norway a couple of years ago. Home advantage, they, if they can make it another dogfight like they did against Germany and play the way that they need to play to win, I think they have a chance. But I don't I have a feeling that Norway have learned their lesson from a couple of years ago. And that they, if they take a lead like Germany did do at the beginning, that, that they'll be able to to keep it up you know also the fact that Norway continue to keep their best player or the best player arguably in the world on the bench at the start is a real you know power play i i think this Norway team yeah they they also a bit like France they're they're peaking at the right moment in this championship as well and that performance against the Russian team who uh, got to give a lot of credit to the Russian team by the way they they kept coming at them they really they showed a lot of guts against Norway, but uh, Norway looked very good and very comfortable in that game. There was people in the YouTube comments saying, I can't believe Norway are struggling against Russia B. But I mean, I, I wouldn't go quite that far to say I call it Russia B now. But uh, I didn't even see they were really struggling. I thought, as you said, Chris, I thought they looked actually quite comfortable for most of the game. I mean, Russia were taking it to them every now and again, but you never really felt like their lead was really threatened at any, any stage. Yeah, there was a couple of times they came back within two or three goals, but uh, I spoke briefly to Kari Bratzit after the game and I spoke to her about that. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's difficult when you're winning by so much. <laughs> you know, they, they came back into it a couple of times. Then we just had to, like, increase the intensity. So that's the way they looked at it. And that suggests uh, a lot of confidence in that team. Uh, Stina Oftedal was in good form, good second wave attacking. And uh, you could see why Thorir Hagaisen wanted to stick with the backcourt starting, the starting backcourt that he did in that kind of game against that kind of team. Maybe that's the the key against Spain as well, or maybe they just need Henny Reistad, uh scoring twelve goals. What happened? Uh, so how did Spain Spain beat uh, Norway in two years ago? 
That's a very, that, Alex, that's a very good question. I was there, but I can't really remember now. Yeah. <laughs> All I remember is like, there's no way in hell Spain are winning this game. And then they did. So I feel like it, it was a game where Spain, a bit like against Germany, they kind of took hold 13, 13 and a half time. And uh, then Spain ran away with it in the second half. They won 28, 22. It was a complete shock to the system uh, in in that case because, yeah, they just, um, second half completely took over. And uh, Alexandrina Cabral had an amazing game. Maybe it's unfair to compare that to this one because the key for Spain against Germany was actually their young players who came on. And they uh, re- really impressive. And it's... Uh, Something we don't really associate with Spain is having young players because they, at the last World Championship two years ago and at the Olympics, I think as well, they had the the oldest squads overall, but they've already had to uh, kind of start a new generation. And one in particular is Paula Arcos, who's just 19 years of age. And she came onto the court against Germany, absolutely no fear on her whatsoever. Also, Carmen Campos, who's a bit older, she's 26, but only had like 19 caps before this championship, was quite new to the squad as well. And a couple of players in the early 20s in there, they came on and they made a big difference uh, playing without any fear. And so then the defense was just uh, devious against the Germans. I have a feeling that Norway won't be caught out like that. Though. There's also one big difference between that Norway squad two years ago. Uh, actually, two big differences. A young player called Henny Reistad was still too young to get into the squad. And an old player called Nora Mark was still too injured to get into that squad. And now they're two of the best players in the world. So uh, I think that Norway team um, didn't quite have the, the punching power of the Norway we see today. And the punching power to be comfortable, I think. And as you said, they won't be caught out because they have just better players that can take over, that can score you the crucial goal. So uh, if none of us give a reason why Spain can win this, then uh, we're going to look very silly potentially on Friday. Has anyone got any reasons why Spain can win this? Oh, no, he said if they turn into a dogfight, they, they will they will have a chance, you know. But uh, I think that's probably the main reason for me, you know. But And it's going to need, a, a, I think, a pretty bad... Uh, slip up from someone like Henny Reistad or maybe Sinoftalal who was absolutely incredible with her assists in the last game if you can if she can if she's not on form it'll be uh, it sounds a bit a little bit strange but it's almost out of uh, Spain's hands to a certain degree they also Norway haven't been turning over the ball as much so far uh, which is which was one weakness that we picked out before Um, now we're just looking for something (laughs) now it's not uh, Norway are going to lose it somehow it's another team will have to raise their game and really overpower them uh, which I don't see Spain doing I do see Denmark doing that though (laughs) (laughs) all right so so shall we do all the potential final uh, predictions then yeah let's do it 
because I'm a, I'm in good form, so I, like I I 100 percent from the last round, so <laughs> yeah. on almost almost correct on the scores as well. No, not really, but okay. Yeah. I, can't, um, I can't believe I can't believe I've become the contrarian when it comes to <laughs> predictions. I, that was your job, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll we'll go back to that during the Euro. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I get paid for it. Um, <laughs> fourth place, no medal here. As you know, four places doesn't come. Actually, they do get a medal sometimes, don't they? Just they get some sort of weird silver-looking medal sometimes. Spain. Third place, Denmark. Second place, France. First place, Norway. MVP, anyway, that. It's going to be a very close final, though. Alex, I'll give you some permutations here because... <laughs> If Denmark win their semi-final against France, they will beat Norway in the final. If France win that semi-final, I actually see Norway winning that ahead of them. Um, And yes, Spain have no chance. But maybe in the third place playoff, they'll, uh, they'll rally that home support. The It will mean much more for them so they can if Spain meet France in the third place playoff, Spain will win. <laughs> but if they meet Denmark, it will be Denmark yes. that wins because for them, it's just as important because uh, a bronze medal for Denmark would be a big occasion. France, you know. Now, Chris, Chris, before you make your decision, right, I yeah. just want to remind you of the history. We've been doing this podcast for quite a while now. This will be the 132nd episode of this podcast. Yeah. You'll cast your mind back to various times at situations when we're making predictions. Yeah. And we've we've poo-pooed various teams who have absolutely no chance at various Final Fours or other European Championship or World Championships. I'm not saying you have to pick Spain now, but for the... Uh, <laughs> the integrity of the for podcast. the integrity of the podcast, I think you should put Spain at least in the final. I mean, also bear in mind, did I not predict Vipers to win the final four this year and Montpellier to win it back in back in the day? Uh, so I am indeed a champion of the outsiders. But the reason I was laughing as Alex was speaking is because I actually think the exact same way about those permutations. I believe that if Denmark go through to the final, they'll beat Norway. If France go through, they'll lose to Norway and Spain will get bronze if they face France, but they'll, uh, they'll lose if they face Denmark. Basically, no matter what happens, we're saying that Denmark will win on the Sunday and France will lose on the Sunday. Who wins on the Friday? Nobody knows. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Pretty much everything covered there. Now. <laughs> That's literally what Alex was saying, and I fully agree. Yeah. Um, it'll be hilarious if it's... Uh, a Denmark-Spain final. Let's make history. I don't know if Alex gave his MVP in this case. Uh, it's going to be on a late surge to outdo her teammate Sandra Toft MVP. Denmark win gold. Wow. If they beat France on the Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's how handball works. You have to, have to take it game by game. Have to win the semi to get to the final. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's a, that's going to be a great semi-final. It's 
almost like a final, except if one of the teams win it, they'll lose to Norway in the actual final. Yep, that's how tournaments generally work, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you play a bunch of games, then you lose to Norway in the final. That's, <laughs> except when it's at the Olympics, of course. We can't speak down about the, the Olympic champions. I, I feel like I'm no closer to knowing what's going to happen than at the start of this podcast, so I hope some people who listened have found some clarity. <laughs> At least but Brian I, knows what he wants. Yeah, I know what I want, but like, sure, but no evidence and not much to back it up. But I, I know what I want. But Alex, did you pick a MVP? I don't even know who's going to be playing in the final, so I, I can't really pick an MVP. Well, you know, Norway's <laughs> going to be in the final. If if it's if it if the final is Norway, Denmark, who gets MVP? I'll see Reinhardt. There you go. If the final is France, Norway, who gets MVP? This is great radio. It's <laughs> <laughs> a permutation. A permutation. Um, Stina Offerdahl, MVP mm. in that final. And if Spain somehow win the Euro, who gets the MVP? <laughs> That'll be hilarious because it's the World Championship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, sorry. In, see, in my head, this is the best part of the World Championship when it turns into the European Championship. <laughs> That's my, that's, it's Jesus, my you can't say that, Brian. It's always my favorite part of the World Championship. What? <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank our sponsors today, uh, the European Handball Federation, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> and, and do we have a winner in the President's Cup? Yes, Angola beat Slovakia in the final. Jesus, there you go. There's, there's the rest of the world representing President's Cup yes. champions. Yeah, took over the title from France, who won it two years ago. I still can't believe France <laughs> won the President's Cup. Yeah, uh, while waiting to interview Alison Pino, uh, Andrew McSteen, who works for the IHF, uh, he showed me a, <laughs> the winning picture from two years ago. Have a look at that, uh, Google it, and you'll just see the bunch of French players who are like, get me the fuck out of this arena. I have no interest in celebrating this competition. Do you know who we are? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so they came back with a vengeance. and uh... Well, congratulations to Angola, who have won their first piece of silverware at this championship, the 25th place. President's Cup champions of 2021. And now we all look forward to seeing who takes the first place overall in Spain. <laughs> so it's good night from all of us here at the Unformed Handball Hour. We will see you after the final for maybe a short recap of Sunday's magical happenings. Mm-hmm.